Welcome back, everybody. I hope you all are staying nice and warm this weekend. When I got up this morning, it was a super lovely four degrees outside, which is pretty balmy if you relate it to the negative 13 that it was last night when I went to bed. We had a nice negative 40 degree wind chill with that arctic blast of air. So I hope you all are staying nice and warm and you kept power and your pipes aren't frozen. Mine are fine, but I know some people's who's did. But anyways, my name is Olivia. I am your host and this is Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky, the podcast where I tell you about wonky animal facts. Today, I am bringing you part two of the flying primate hypothesis. The evidence against, we'll be talking about the evidence against the hypothesis and where things currently stand with bat taxonomy and where things are currently settled with bats being sorted. Will this all change in the future as new information arises? Probably, because as humans, we really like to sort and then resort things into nice little categories. It's one of our favorite pastimes, as anybody who has organized and reorganized their house and loves it will attest to. But first, since it has been a couple weeks since part one, I wanted to do a short little recap on what it is we are talking about to get you all back up to speed. So with bats, we are we have our mega bats, which are our fruit bats or our flying foxes, and then our micro bats, our small, mostly little insect-eating bats. Originally, we thought that bats were monophyletic, meaning that they all came from one common ancestor, but the flying primate hypothesis swooped on in with the idea that megabats may actually share a common ancestor with primates, which would indicate that all bats do not share a common ancestor and that microbats likely evolved from the tree shrews. So the two common or the two ancestors there would make bats diphyletic and would also indicate that flight evolved in mammals twice. So the flying primate hypothesis was largely based on physical similarities between flying foxes and lemurs especially, with some of the neural networks in bat brains being identical to the neural networks in lemur brains, or at least the neural networks in the flying fox brains. So that is the flying primate hypothesis and the primary support for it in a nutshell, and it didn't even take 30 minutes this time. Okay, so bat brains, or or brains in general, are super slow to evolve, so generally, if two groups have the same networks in their brains, it would indicate that they are super closely related and likely share a common ancestor, so what evidence could there possibly be against the flying primate hypothesis that would stick? So it turns out that the evidence is DNA evidence. We can sequence DNA to investigate all sorts of things. We can use it to identify species. We can take air or, well, not really air. We can take water or soil samples and sequence the DNA present there so we can see what critters are around. We can use it to identify where individuals originated from, all sorts of things. But the important one here is that you can use DNA sequences to track lineages and who is more closely related to who. In biology, we use it more of like a grouping taxonomic sense, 
but it's really the same idea as when you submit DNA to Ancestry.com and they use your DNA to find your relatives. As uh, DNA sequencing and genetic studies became more accessible to biologists, the DNA really started to be the strongest evidence against the flying primate hypothesis. So early DNA sequencing studies in the 90s took a look at recombinant DNA restriction sites, as well as the COI gene, which is the cytochrome C oxidase subunit 1 gene. These studies gave some inconclusive results, but they did not solidly support uh, diphyly, the two um, ancestors. So if bats did indeed not share an ancestor, then their DNA sequences should be noticeably different. So a lot of studies or a lot of scientists kind of took this as the first evidence against it, since it really wasn't solidly supportive of the flying primate hypothesis. But as we got into the 2000s, a study looking at the mitochondrial DNA did find some conclusive results. Mitochondrial DNA is great for studying relationships between organisms because it evolves faster than DNA in the nucleus, which is where most of the DNA is in a cell. So since it evolves faster in the mitochondria, as uh, species diverge, become more distinct, and have distinct lineages, it will show a much, much clearer difference between the two species in those sequences. However, within a species, the variability is still low enough to be able to detect uh, things that are within the same species. So we like to call this variable and yet conserved. The COI gene that uh, some of the other studies looked at is actually an example of a commonly used mitochondrial gene. The 2000 uh, study by Nikato and colleagues actually looked at the entire mitochondrial sequence, so not just a single gene. And what the DNA told them is that megabats and microbats are monophyletic, so they do share a common ancestor. And not only do they not share a common ancestor with primates, they are actually more closely related to an entirely different group altogether, the Ferungulata. Now, if you are familiar with mammals and are thinking, gee, Ferungulata sure sounds a lot like ungulates, then you would be correct. This group has had some changes since it was originally proposed, or originally created, but currently, at least, it does include the ungulates, which are things like horses, rhinos, cows, giraffes, essentially all of your hooved mammals, as well as the carnivora, which includes our favorite things like dogs, cats, raccoons, all sorts of fun things right through there. So grouping the bats with the ferungulates is a pretty big nail in the coffin for the flying bat hypothesis. There is some other molecular evidence as well. There was one study in 1999 looking at some introns, specifically the MHCDRB intron, if any of you are up to date on your intron studies. And what an intron is, is a segment of a sequence, uh, usually the RNA sequence, that gets edited out during the process of making proteins. I couldn't get the full article for all of the juicy details here, but the introns they were looking at also indicated monophylia bats, and yet another 1999 study looking at the DNA of fruit bats also supported bats being sorted outside of the traditional Archonta group that they were put in, and instead put them into um, a group more related to what would now be the ferungulates. And then yet another study, again in 2000, so still similar time frame, was looking at the SRY gene on the Y chromosome 
and this study also supported megabats and microbats sharing a common ancestor, so another vote for monophyly. There is also a little bit of morphological evidence as well. So while most of the evidence here is within the DNA, we do also have some similarities in their teeth, the way they develop and look and are um, organized within the bat mouths, and also in the way the joints in their wrists and fingers are designed. In particular, they share elongated forelimbs and a particular organization of the metacarpal joints, and those are the joints within the wrist, and three of their fingers don't have claws, and in bats it's all of the same three fingers, digits three through five, don't have claws. Looking at their nervous system as well, the sensory nerves in their forelimbs are the same amongst bats, but they're organized differently than they are in other mammals. So while many studies, or in addition, there are some fossil evidence as well, and many of the studies mentioning fossil evidence did very freely admit that there aren't a whole lot of fossils to go on, there is at least some fossil evidence to suggest that bats do share a common ancestor. Um, and their common ancestor is also not closely related to uh, primates, and any similarities that there are between bats and primates are due to convergent evolution, which would mean that the same or similar features evolved twice, once in primates and one in bats. And then kind of what ended up being the final nail in the coffin for the flying primate hypothesis were some of the were some of the studies that Teeling and her colleagues did and published. They really settled out a lot of things with bat taxonomy and how they're grouped, at least for now, with a 2002 study being the first. There was another one in 2005 that was mentioned in one of the articles that I read, but I actually couldn't find it on Google Scholar, so we're just going to go off the 2002 paper here. So, I mentioned it before, but some things to keep in mind here. Remember that bats were originally sorted into a group called Archonta, and this includes primates, colugos, bats, and tree shrews. Also remember that some of the fairly early bat DNA studies, so kind of the ones in the 90s, a lot of them were ambiguous, so the ones looking at the COI genes, they didn't really give super strong support for one common ancestor. They didn't seem to support two common ancestors, but the results were ambiguous either way. So it's important to keep that in mind because um, as we go into this 2002 paper, so keep that in the back there. So the first important thing when considering the flying primate hypothesis is that this study did not support the idea that bats are closely supported or closely related to primates at all, but they also determined that bats are not a sister group to the colugos, like once and for all. So not only are they not closely related to primates, they're also not as closely related to colugos as we thought we were, which some of those studies um, when trying to relate bats to primates we're using that connection between colugos and lemurs kind of as support for the idea that bats shared a common ancestor at some point with primates. In fact, this paper also really just tore apart the whole archontic group. They didn't say that there were, or they kind of concluded that there weren't enough matches in the DNA to support that all of the members that were traditionally of archonta were related enough to be grouped together. So obviously the bats were taken out, and some of, the, uh, some of those tree shrews and elephant shrews had been removed as well, 
So that kind of rocked the boat there. So if bats aren't grouped in Archonta anymore, where were they put? The study actually put them in a super order called Laurasiatheria. This group of mammals includes placental mammals and groups together the insectivore groups that contain hedgehogs, solenodons, and moles, as well as, car- as, well as uh, the carnivora, pangolins, and our ferungulate friends we mentioned earlier. Laurasiatheria as a group is actually based solely on DNA sequence similarities. There aren't any anatomical features that unite the group, which is a pretty recent thing to be a thing with taxonomical groupings. Obviously, since DNA is a relatively new thing to be studying, for species historically to be grouped together, there had to be some sort of anatomical feature that you could, you know, see either through a microscope or by just looking at them that could link species together in order to justify the grouping. So something that you would be able to go into an ID guide and say, these are the three bullet points that make these species all part of this group. Then you'd be like, great. But now that similarity is just DNA sequences. Also interesting, or also interestingly, this 2002 study by Teeling and colleagues also uprooted the idea that bats may actually not be monophyletic after all and can't really be sorted neatly into megabats and microbats. The two lineages of bats are apparently not quite as neat as we thought they were with big bats on one side, little bats on the other side. They found that one super family of bats traditionally grouped with the microbats, the Rhinolophoidae, uh, this contain this superfamily contains groups like the old world leaf nose bats, the false vampire bats, but not true vampire bats of Central and South America. Those are in a different group. So this superfamily is actually more closely related to megabats and not the microbats they were originally in. So what does this mean for the flying primate hypothesis, and where does this leave bats? So there are still some people that believe that bats are more closely related to primates based on the long-known morphological characteristics, but the DNA just isn't there for it. Both sides do have convincing arguments because, you know, admittedly, it would be hard or it can be hard to argue with the fact that the bats and primates do share the same uh, neural network connections, but it is also hard to argue with the DNA sequences just being totally different from primates and different enough that they're just not related. So we are at a point where genetically bats are just grouped with a completely different suborder. Which then, fun fact, the rodents and lagomorphs, which the lagomorphs are our bunny friends, are grouped in the same super order as primates. So now that bats have been reorganized, we are more closely related to bunnies than we are to bats. For superorders that have too many letters in a really weird order, the superorder that primates and lagomorphs are in is called Eurocontagliris. So that is kind of the uh, or the other superorder, and then again the bats are in Laurasiatheria. Okay, so where are bats? So bats do still exist within order Chiroptera. But instead of being grouped in Megacheroptera, which would be your megabats, the fruit bats, and flying foxes, and then the microbats for all of our small insect-eating friends, we have, we do still have two groups, but we have the group 
Yenteroteroptera, and Yangoteroptera. Yangoteroptera is made up entirely of microbats, and then Yenteroteroptera contains the megabats, and then that one super family of microbats, the Rhinolophoidae. So that paper came out in 2002, and since then, at least, that group has conducted more studies supporting this grouping, and when you look up the uh, taxonomy of bats, to this day, this is so far how bats continue to be grouped. So no more are they grouped at all with primates, but now we can officially say that bats are more closely related to cats than they are to us. Thank you for listening and joining me on this little journey into the depths of the flying primate hypothesis. Next episode, we will take a look at how birds that don't migrate survive the cold and relative lack of food of wintertime, especially as we are currently experiencing a very chilly winter day with this Arctic blast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with your friends and subscribe so you can be notified of future episodes and leave you leave a review. Those are all great ways to support this podcast and help it spread to new people and keep up our streak of having over 100 downloads in January, which thanks everybody. If you are on Facebook or Instagram, be sure to give us a follow at Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky on Facebook and then Quirky, Creepy, Freaky Pod on Instagram. And then thanks to my sister, Kaylee Streit, for creating the theme music for my podcast. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time.